blue skies cool. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And I know you just cracked a beer, so cheers. <laughs> cheers, man. I got, I got coconut water, but it'll do the trick <laughs> for now. Um, tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? All right, so my name's Zach, Zach Rosser, and I'm a wedding videographer. <laughs> so it's a perfect person to have on a skydiving podcast. Perfect person. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, I know we talked to, uh, beforehand. I always think it's kind of funny to find out what other stuff people do besides jumping out of airplanes. But you're obviously a skydiver and uh, you do some silly shit now and then, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm basically wedding videographer. And then on weekends when I'm not filming a wedding, I'll be throwing drugs, coaching, and just working at the drop site, basically. Nice, nice. So a little bit of everything. 
a little bit of everything. Yeah. So uh, how did the first off, um, we'll, we'll talk a lot about how you got into the, the camera side of things. And obviously, if you're doing that for work outside, that lends to uh, a lot of the cool shit we do in the sport with cameras and all that stuff. But which came first? Yeah. Uh, were you doing videos and stuff for work outside of everything or? I kind of blended together. So I was skydiving first um, and I was always just doing like travel videos, skydiving edits etc and then one of my friends alex who i skydived with he was getting married and liked a lot of the my editing style and filming style and then he asked me to film his wedding which at the time i thought was a massive it's a massive thing to film someone's wedding sure. it's the biggest day of their life yeah um, and then long story short filmed it edited it posted it and they loved it and then their friends saw it and then it kind of just snowballed from there and that's kind of how i got into the wedding industry was just kind of just fell into it really isn't it kind of funny how uh how it works that way i mean in skydiving yeah. because it's got so many people from so many different backgrounds and works you never know what where it's gonna lead to <laughs> yeah and it's the same with skydiving like i always knew i'd be flying something and i it's it's not unnatural that this is the industry or this is the passion that i got into like if you ask my mom she would know this is exactly where I would have been. And nice. same, yeah. Wow. Well, how, how did you get started in anything extreme? I mean, it sounds to me like it was from a young age. Oh, super young. Hey, my it all stems from my dad. My dad is probably my, my icon or like someone I've looked up to growing up. And he's ever since a young age, like I think when he was in paragliding, like pretty in the paragliding scene. Um, so... I was always at a young age from three onwards, just watching him paraglide. I was helping him pack paragliders. Like I was just in and around that kind of scene. And I think he took me for a tandem when I was like three or four, just oh, had geez. like a dodgy little, yeah, just had like a dodgy little rock climbing kids harness that he then carabined into his paraglider. And then we just launched off. Um, <laughs> what did your mom I think of that? Well, she didn't have much of a choice because it's all I wanted to do. And then as soon as we landed, I was just like, daddy, 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 again, go, go again. And oh, I was no. hooked. I was hooked. <laughs> so I was originally born in England. And then 2010, my whole family moved over to Australia. Okay. And then when I got of age of like, uh, I think just over 18, I was keen to start progressing in paragliding. because that's all I kind of knew as from growing up. But in South Australia, there's not much of a scene for it. You kind of have to travel interstate to learn and do like the, the PG1 course, um, et cetera, et cetera. So my dad then recommended, why don't you do a tandem? So I was like, all right, I'll do a tandem. And I looked into it more, figured out you could learn to skydive. And I was like, all right, all I want to do is learn to skydive. And dad was like, all right, maybe before you commit to it fully, you should do a tandem, see if you actually like it. Sure. And then did a tandem and then didn't look back. What was that first jump? First jump was uh, SA skydiving down in South Australia. And um, yeah, and that's where I did my AF. That's where I've done all my work jumps. It's where I've done, it's my home job zone. Okay, and, all right. Uh, to did me, you, it's the best place to jump, I think. Did you find uh, uh, that the, the sport also translated quite well and easily for you? Or were there any hiccups trying to get through learning? No, well, it was the funny thing. Cause like throughout the AF and like my AF course, I knew a lot of the answers from my dad. Like, you know, you could land into, you've got to land into wind. Um, you know, you always eat the carrot, that kind of stuff. I knew the basics. I knew a lot of the canopy handling stuff from, you know, just watching dad and learning from dad. But in the AF course, I knew the answers, but I didn't want to say the answers in case they were wrong. Sure. And then I went, then I, then I slowly found out, I was like, huh, maybe I actually know a lot more than what I think. And then, sure. yeah, not that it came easy. I just think it was just became natural. To some sure extent. sure now does uh did you like, there's definitely been some challenges because i'm a light person i'm tall i'm 180 centimeters and 60 kilos on a good day oh jesus so you're like yeah. a nightmare <laughs> student as an aff student yeah. you're the type that scared <laughs> the fuck out of me yeah oh really oh yeah man because you're the guy that yeah. if you start spinning and get away from me i'm going up <laughs> yeah man because i'm short and thick so i tend to fall <laughs> I, I fall like a brick taped to another brick. You know, I mean, I've got two speed yeah, right. fast and faster. So. Yeah. Um, but then I don't know the parachute and like flying the parachute and swooping was 
I, that was what interested me from such an early age, like early on in my jumping career. Mm. Like before I started my AF, I was just that person that would YouTube videos like on learning to AF and like finding out what I could do or how I could, what, how much I could learn before the course to help me. Sure. And I remember so many nights at home where I was watching like, for instance, like the DIPC, like the Dubai mm. like Parachuting Swoop League. Sure. And I'd watch like all the rounds of that before I even started my app. But I was just so intrigued on like the swooping and the competition environment. But And then, yeah, I don't know, it just somehow that just fluently went. Through. Well, and I think uh, um, as we're discovering, um, as <clears throat> it gets more and more mainstream with the sport, that one of the most uh, um, spectator friendly sports is swooping. Um, yeah. It translates very well on video and in person to being able to uh, really enjoy watching what's going on. Even if you don't understand the rules or the tricks, it just looks cool. Oh, without a doubt. It's yep. the, it's the, well, it's probably the only spectator sport you can have in, in skydiving. It's spectator discipline you could have. Yeah. Well, you've, I mean, you've got accuracy as well, but accuracy is very low key, very mellow. Yeah. And, and uh, I've got a good friend of mine that I've joked around with all the time because he was huge into uh, style and accuracy and it does take a lot of discipline. And, and I, I've talked shit about the discipline before, because I think it's, <laughs> I think it's funny. I, I, I joke around and say, it's like watching a helium balloon with a slow leak um yeah. that 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 being said um if they ever made me do it i'm sure i'd suck at it because uh, it's oh, a, lot, doubt. <laughs> a lot harder than it looks it's just fun to make fun of them yeah there's nothing better than being at nationals and standing around the big inflatable just heckling them as they're coming in yes well so that's the other cool thing about uh, accuracy though is the fact that you can literally have people just surrounding a small area and that's the event it's just right yeah. there whereas now of course with swooping you've got to clear it out like a runway land in 747s because the damn things go so far yeah i what cedric got what 200 meters for distance to set the record or something like that. It's just insane. It is insane. It is insane. And as the technology continues to advance and the wings get uh, higher performing, oh my God. Uh, it's exciting. Yes. Yes. So now yeah. um, you started out, you did your AFF. You knew this is what you wanted to do at a young age. Um, yeah. Was, was dad out there jumping with you or was he just kind of supporting? No, I say, Dad's only ever done uh, tandems, I think maybe five or six. So he's done a few when he was younger. I think he may have done a few static lines, like when he was just crew, like just younger and just like just figuring things, what he, his passion was, but then sure. it led to paragliding. But no, nah, he never did his AF. He's never done any solos. But um, it's since I got my um, instructor rating, I for his 50th birthday, which was last year, I um, had the honor of taking him for a tandem, which was a super, super cool moment. That was very cool. Yeah, my most mem one of well, I don't want to say it's my most memorable because I also took my mum for her fiftieth. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> In the same year, so they're like, I've taken my mum, my dad, and my brother for a tandem, and all three of them are equally. But my dad's would probably have to be my most memorable, only because it. I've then got a photo of him taking me for a tandem, and then I've got a photo of me taking him for a tandem. That's pretty damn cool. Well, and yeah. especially um, because yeah. it was his his drive-in air sports that eventually led to yours yeah it we shared a moment i i always planned on pitching the like the canopy earlier so we could spend some time on the canopy and that's more of the moment like sure. having some time on the canopy flying together and actually chatting and i remember him saying like zach like i'm i'm very proud of you like this this is one of my proudest moments and to me that was that, that was is, a good highlight. Yeah. That is so cool. And, and uh, it rings a, a very strange chord for me because you had just talked about your your dad didn't do the AFF for this stuff as a younger guy. Your fucking dad's younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, I, I don't know if you saw my face twist slightly when you said you took him for his 50th birthday. He's younger than me. <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, yeah. You've, you've aged well. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I, re I refuse to grow up. It just, that's very, very funny that I'm talking to an experienced skydiving instructor whose dad is younger than me. That's a very weird. <laughs> yeah, so nah. as you transitioned into the sport, obviously you, uh, you got through your AFF and became a fun jumper. Did you know right away, I want to work in the sport. This is something I'm going to be pushing for. Oh, kind of. And I kind of needed to, because I didn't have much money. So <laughs> I, 
<laughs> so I talked to my CI and um, Myth and a few of the local like DZSOs. And I was like, look, I need some coin. And I started off as a fluffer, you know, just like dubbing videos, harnessing up like punters and sure. basically just bitch boy of the drop zone, just sure. doing everything that needed to be done. And then, um, then got my packer, I was just packing. Um, and then, yeah, as soon, then I slowly figured out the best way to actually jump and it not cost anything was to do camera. Yeah. So I just got good at doing camera, got good at, good at doing camera, um, botanins, and then it kind of, everything I just, just naturally or just lined, it's sort of not, not fate, but just things just happened at right times. Sure. And there was a four-way team who needed a camera flyer. And I, that's when I was training for my first nationals. So I needed to do a lot of hop and pops. And then they asked if I could then do camera. And I was like, well, camera, I'm pitching at five, a little bit over five. It's basically a free hop and pop. So sure. yes, of course I'll do it. And then it's just free swoops. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where it went. And then um, in turn, because I'm a canopy coach as well. Um, so I do canopy courses and then um, recently started running flocking events around Australia and hopefully soon to be New Zealand, fingers crossed if the borders play game. Sure. Um, and then the canopy coach thing sort of happened um, when I was at nationals and they were sort of looking for canopy coaches. And then I came back home after a national competition, spoke to my CI, um, Myth, who was his passion. His name's Greg Smith, or also known as Myth, and he's a pioneer of the sport in Australia. And his passion is canopy piloting and loves canopy piloting all parachutes. And he was super supportive and really pushed me into doing canopy coaching and, and then started sponsoring me a little bit and helped me around the drop zone. And then that's how I could jump a bit more as long as the deal was, as long as I just run courses regularly. So then I started running back canopy courses a lot more regularly. And that's kind of how the coaching then started happening really. And then that translated into just being coaching, getting instructorating, to then quitting my job, to then working at the drop zone. Sure. Yeah, well, and yeah. it does seem to go that way, too. If you know you want to aim that direction, you kind of look for those opportunities and you're willing to, you know, do that extra legwork to do all the shitty jobs around the drop zone, which means you eventually get to shoot that video, which gives you the opportunity to do exactly what you did. Now, when did you know yeah. you really wanted to get into the swooping side of things? Um. I was, I think it was like for an early age, like early in the career, like, um, I don't know. I just watched a lot of the instructors around the drop zone swooping. And I was like, that looks sick. And then oh, I've actually got it in my logbook, which is so bad. And as a coach, I would never, ever, ever recommend this. It's like written in my logbook. I think it's jump 35 and I'm on like an, like an Eagle 170, which I've never even heard of that canopy ever again. <laughs> and it's, I've written in my logbook. It's like jump 35, um held down to the held onto the front risers planed out high needed to hold onto them for longer to plane it out across the ground and i just knew nothing at the time and if someone ever came up to me at 35 jumps i would be oh yeah that, it's not well, shit nowadays if they're trying to do that at 135 jumps you're gonna go whoa slow down a little yeah bit. it's uh, um i mean Granted, I've been in the sport a lot longer than you. And, and uh, when I started, it was still the same. It was canopies were where people were getting hurt and killed. Um, and oh, it, not out of malfunctions because they were doing stupid shit. Um, yeah. But it was a little bit more acceptable 25 years ago to do that stupid <laughs> shit. Now, because there's so much coaching involved and so many different resources for new students to go to, uh, it's frowned upon a lot more because you look at people and go, you've got way too many resources to be fucking around on your own like this. Oh, without doubt. And I think I started in a stage where um, locally to us in South Australia, the instructors are still trying to figure out themselves. And there wasn't a lot of coaching kind of courses happening locally. We was always having to get coaches flown in to get sure. courses ran. So I was getting a lot of ideas and a lot of feedback off of the local, you know, big dogs or local instructors. And, but nowadays, like now in South Show, like I'm running courses regularly. There's another coach, um, Bo, who's running courses very regularly as well. And the, like the information on hand for jumpers now is without a doubt, you can just get it without having to fly coaches in. It's just, it's just there for people. Sure. There's no excuses and it's, um, it's just, everything's just become a lot more safer and there's a lot more education going around. Oh, right. yeah. 
Well, you know, and I've noticed too, uh, I've been a big part of a, a group going around Facebook for a while now called uh, the Beginner Skydiving Forum. And the students are actively asking all the right questions from almost no jumps. I mean, there's, there's guys that have only done two or three tandems that are deciding they want to go into their AFF and they're already asking the right questions. And I see the community as a whole really guiding people towards the much safer decisions. Because let's face it, skydiving is a sport where you want to learn from other people's mistakes. Oh, without a doubt. And I've made a lot of them. <laughs> so if I can help people learn from mine, then then yeah, then I've, I've done something good. What's your biggest fuck up? Well, oh, <laughs> it would have to be when um, it was when I first bought, like I first got my uh, canopy to start swooping properly. So I was on a pilot 150. And I was learning to sweep then and you got the short recovery arc because it's a beginner student canopy, you could sure. say. Um, it went square. And then that's when I transitioned over to my Mumba 150, which is super elliptical and trim super steep. And just did the classic where swapped canopies over at home. So I was super excited with no <laughs> one watching, no one watching, no one helping me, no one guiding me. I was young as well in jumping career. And then the worst part is I did it all and then my friend needed to borrow my, a, a rig and I was like, oh, I've got a rig. Gave handed the rig over, who then jumped that weekend and I wasn't at the drop zone, jumped the canopy, did a free fall, canopy opened, no worries. And then as soon as he popped the brakes, the rear risers, soft links disconnected on him and then he was only <laughs> hanging on to the canopy by the front, um, the front soft links, which were then probably would have disconnected as well. So in hindsight, if they held on till he started swooping, he would have been dead. Yeah, he would have yeah. and he would have died for sure, without a doubt. And um, I was just lucky that that happened at a safe altitude, and he cut away safely and survived to tell the tale. But I definitely got a phone call from my CI. <laughs> he made me think that he was dead. <laughs> that's, and it was not. Good. I'm going to give you credit. That's a proper fuck up. Oh man, it was bad. It was bad. My, I had a lot of punishment where I had to sit with our packer A and just watch reserves get packed for a well, day. And skydivers being <laughs> who we I learned are. a lot from that. But oh yeah. yeah. Well, and skydivers being who we are, you'll hear about that for the entire time you're in the sport. Your whole yeah. career, someone will remind you, hey, you remember that time? Yeah. But the thing is then I only recently, I think towards the end of the year just gone, I saw a jumper doing the exact same thing. Like he rushed, packed his new canopy at nighttime, came to the drop zone. And it wasn't that I heard it or a group of us heard it that, you know, he packed, hooked up a canopy last night that we dragged the canopy out and realized mm. that he did the softlings wrong. It's that he did the exact same thing I did, yeah. but was just lucky enough that there was a group of people around that made him unpack it. And we realized sure. and that, that basically could have, well, it saved him. Yeah. Well, again, it's learning from other people's mistakes in a big way. Yeah. I oh, have a... Right. a a good buddy uh, uh, by the name of Jackson that uh, did something similar, um, although he was just switching out. Um, uh, I believe he was switching out risers, and I, I don't know the exact details of the story, but a sub 100 canopy swapped out for another sub 100 canopy. And when he pitched and opened up, he was flying backwards. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is, you know, the ultimate comedy. And he was shooting video, of course, it was a tandem jump. So I believe he even stayed on it long enough to make sure that the video captured just how fucking silly this was. And had to he took the RSL off so that he could chop and flip himself around. So he wasn't chasing his his uh, reserve pilot shoot as he as he cut away. But it was again, that one just turned out to be quite funny. Because no matter yeah. what, he wasn't going to land that thing. But yeah, yours was uh, potentially a little bit more serious. It's a special story. That's for yes. sure. And I get, I cop that. I'll never hear the end of that forever. Like my friend recently was hooking up a canopy and he's like, oh, Zach, do you mind looking over my sessions? <laughs> <laughs> You'll get that for your entire career. Oh, that's me for done for life. But, yeah. you know, I will never, ever, ever make a uh, touch wood make that mistake again though so right that's so but that's the good thing is i'm the, okay. especially because skydivers are so brutal at making sure people don't forget you won't make yeah. that mistake again there's no way uh, you'd never live it down <laughs> i'll never oh that's it the boys yeah. will never make sure i never live that down yeah and like i think a month after that 
in we have in Australia, it's called like the Australian Skydivers magazine. So every three months we get a magazine with like all the events, articles and stuff like that, a few safety things. And the first page after the opening cover was how to connect soft links to your canopy. <laughs> and the amount of people that sent me a photo of that straight afterwards. Oh, my phone was just going bing, 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 bing. Of oh, course. Insane. Well, and yeah. who knows, uh, the author may have written it knowing about your story. <laughs> It's a small sport, man. Shit gets around Very really small. quick. Well, and especially yeah. when you talk about as as small as it is for each individual country. You know, Australia is a big place, but the skydiving community is quite small. Uh, you you always know someone of someone. Oh yeah. It doesn't it doesn't take long to stem back to no someone you know or yourself. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Speaking of which, it's a good um, thing. it can be a bad thing at times. Of course, it can. I have had an opportunity to speak to a couple of uh, Aussie jumpers that told me all about the last uh, funny farm. Were you out there for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) no. Well, (laughs) so there's there's the funny farm, which is like the free fall event where, you know, all the shredders go to and, you know, they do the massive, like a big stunt that you you would have seen with the the plane, et cetera. And then after that, they have like, um, like a swoop farm where basically it's just only hop and pops and it's just people there just to shred the pond. Mm. So I was lucky enough to get invited to the, the sweep farm. So I've, I've, cool. been to, I've been to sweep farm. I've been to funny farm, but not for the official funny farm. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Well, but it's if you know, you... it's a great drop zone. It's the best pond I've ever been over where water to grass is like level. And Roger looks after that and noodle look after that so well. And yeah, it's weird. You just go there and you just, you're just already in good vibes because you can just feel all the good vibes that have been sure. there. Well, and it's in the middle of nowhere, isn't it? Mate, it's you lose reception. You do drive in there and drive away, and then you turn on you turn left onto one road. And as soon as you turn left onto that road, your phone just goes out and you can't get reception until you go back to that road. That's cool so, though. Which is, but it's that's what makes fun what it is, because there's no phone reception. And sure. Yeah, everyone's there to socialize and hang out with the people that are there. Yeah, I mean, well, and I've never been, but I've heard the stories from a couple of guests on the show, and then I've heard stories yeah. off the show, and holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's probably all true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Now, how did you get started <laughs> in the uh, the canopy coaching stuff? Obviously, to get to the level of canopy coaching, you've got to be performing at that next level. So how did you get yourself to that level, and how did the coaching come about? Um, so yeah, the coaching kind of came about in terms like Australia, they started up like a new coaching, like a new canopy coach. There's the high performance canopy coach and then there's what's called like a basic canopy coach. So they started up this basic canopy coach where it was just like a new rating. No one had had it and they announced it at the nationals. And I realized that there wasn't a canopy coach in South Australia. So I was like, okay, maybe I should do that then. And that's when I spoke to my CI myth and he was super supportive, really pushed me into it as well. I got the rating and then funnily enough, um, my rating is canopy coach hashtag one. So I was the first one to get the rating. <laughs> cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, pay some beer. yeah. So pay some beer for that. Um, and then I was just doing canopy courses um, locally. And then it kind of just, I don't know, like I said, things just fell into place at the right time, right place. I had one guy come down from Brisbane um, his name was Sean to attend one of my courses. And it was like the biggest thing I thought, like, you know, an interstate coming down to my course. That's sure. huge. Sure. And he loved the course, went back home to Brisbane, told like his drop zone about it. And then he went so far out of his way to get me up to there. <laughs> How cool is which, that? And yeah. Oh, I was super grateful, very grateful. And which meant then led to me going to Brisbane to run a canopy course there um, which then got the name out a little bit more. And then more people then come to South Australia to come onto the events. Um, but the biggest one was, um, on all the canopy courses I've always done, I've always tried to end every day with doing a flocking jump. Um, and then to me, a flocking jump, you know, it was just getting out super long, like almost like a cross country jump. And I've never had a jump where no one's not had a good time on a flocking jump. Flying mm. canopies relative to each other. It's always a frothy jump. Sure. And, and I was like, that's brought me to the idea of maybe there could be an event of just doing flocking jumps, like just a flocking event instead of a canopy course where you end with a flocking jump. Um, so I had the idea of running a flocking event and I'd sort of planned it a little bit. I was sort of reaching out to like Chris Stewart, um, Andrew Wolf, um, and a few others and just bouncing some ideas off and just getting a little bit more information on how to run a flocking jump and some flocking jump ideas and 
more of like the safety things and like what could go wrong and what sure. may go wrong, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it wasn't until I was competing in New South Wales at a swoop event that I bumped into another Canada coach who's called Jesse Warren. Um, and he was thinking about running a flocking event at the same time. So then we kind of bumped into our chairs, sharing ideas back and forth. And then that's when he invited me to help him coach at his event, which is in Byron Bay, um, which to, I was, that was like the next big thing that happened to me. So that, sure. And I think that's what kickstarted everything. Like I got invited, I got flown up to Byron Bay to coach, um, which then built this friendship um, with Jesse, which then um, helped me get invited then to Far North Refill up in Cairns to help coach um, an event up there. Um, but it just opened so many doors. Um, so then when I ran my event, um in south australia i just had all this knowledge and then it just it just went so much better than i ever anticipated um and yeah i don't know and then it kind of just snowballed from there as soon as i posted the video online of the flocking event i was getting messages from every per at least one person in each state saying this needs to happen in our state and then yeah now it's just snowballed out like i'm getting ready um i just had my friend over niall um, helping me, who's who helps me with the flocking events, which coming up with the camp structure and stuff for a camp we're running next week up in Brisbane at Tagula, mm. um, which I'm super excited about. It's going to be some big weight jumps, um, all you know, sub 100 canopies, and it's yeah, it's got some excited jumps planned. Excited, well, it's got to be well, and and visually, it's very spectacular for those people that aren't oh. doing it, just being able to watch. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. It really is. So now yeah. let me ask you're you're a low time jumper and you're you're seeing these videos and enjoying the uh, idea of being able to go out and do this flocking stuff yourself uh, as a low time jumper what should I be thinking about in regard to how to progress to be able to do that kind of stuff um in terms of how to get onto a flocking camp is that what you're sort of saying just just um as i'm learning what should i be thinking of and focusing on so that i'm uh, starting to build the skills that i will eventually be able to use in that environment yeah i think it's more just um just getting out talking to your local coaches um it's more just understanding what your canopy does like you know what um inputs do what and like how things react you know what you might do on your canopy is going to be completely different than what someone else does on their canopy it's not sure. there's no single right answer it's just more what happens to you is what the answer will be for you sure. um so i think understanding your canopy flying that knowing what your canopy inputs do and how they will relate to another canopy next to you and then um then yeah just reaching out to myself jesse or a canopy coach local canopy coach on how you can do that and starting off with two ways and then just progressing nice. kind of like your beer you know you start off like your b license you know, start off with two ways that progress to three ways four ways and then you get sure. a star crack and then opens up to your 10 ways and above sure um i guess it's kind of very similar to that do you do any uh um any crew type stuff as well or is it all just oh, the flocking i'm so shit scared of crew <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> me too i've done some i've done some crew i've done very minimal crew um like i've done some like diamonds a lot of stacking and stuff i've not a crew coach um there's the, the actual crew coaches down here in south australia the ones that um they're on the australian team and represent um australia at the worlds so mm. they're very knowledgeable guys um tomaso and marty um but now i've done some crew um shit scared of it mainly because i have to jump a bigger canopy so my wing loading then goes to like one and i don't get the forward drive of a landing so i'm just going sure. straight down again and it scares the shit out of me sure sure yeah do you guys brief uh, with the flocking stuff for the potential for collisions and wraps is uh, i'd imagine yeah. that's got to be something you talk about extensively yeah so usually each camp will start off with um a little bit of uh, like a safety brief powerpoint that sort of goes through you know anything that you might need to know like you know, risk of canopy wraps collisions the procedure for each of those and how each of those are different as well um and then you know approaches how to approach how to break off um and then just the different types of formations that we might fly throughout the camp very cool etc and then the more, the more it goes up the, the risk level then goes up as well like um my friends myself and niall we're all just, it's one of those things you know if you want to run an event um you kind of always got to be at the front edge otherwise someone it's not that someone might take over and and that and that's completely fine because if someone else is pushing at the same time you are it makes you push a little bit harder as well because then sure. it's that friendly competition sure but you've always got to find new jumps you've got to test out new things to then translate into the event so then me and my friend and i were like let's try and figure out how to do um, barrel rolls like 
over the top of a canopy. Sure. And the risk of collision for that was like 95%. And we were like, <laughs> and it nearly did. Like we, we did the barrel roll was top skin, top skin. And then I think I was a little bit heavy on the top of his canopy and it indented and half of his canopy folded in inwards like this and then spat me out one side. And that's the closest I've come. But, yeah, I mean, well, that's yeah. the scary part about the, the <laughs> level of performance. Of sport, yeah, well, and the, the performance level of the canopies that you guys are flying, they're, they don't lend themselves to being deformed very much before they're going to do God knows what. Yeah, some crazy shit. Crazy, yeah. crazy shit. There's, yeah. there, was one, there was one time where I was trying to do, learn a barrel roll and I just didn't have enough speed in the canopy. So as I've gone to barrel roll, half my wings collapsed underneath. And instead of barrel rolling me, it's more just like corkscrewed me and like twisted me on an axis around and hel helicopter me in front of the person. And that was, I was rattled. I got down and I was like, that was a bad idea. Oh, yeah. But, but then the next week went and tried to do it again. Of course, as you'll do, as you'll <laughs> do. Well, I had uh, uh, David uh, Ludwig on not that long ago, and he tells the story of when he was doing a big formation, and it was XRW with multiple canopies and multiple wingsuiters. <laughs> and uh, um, the guy shooting the video for the entire thing had asked the pilot to fly past the formation in a specific uh, position, which I've also, it yeah, it happened to put the, uh, um, the formation straight through um, the airplane's wake and junior um, his canopy went from flying happily forward attached to a wingsuiter to backward and upside down flying the other direction and then around again all in the space of like two seconds so it's crazy yeah yeah it's crazy when you're flying so relative to someone that you forget how fast you're actually going until shit goes wrong and then it happens yes like that. yes it's yeah. nothing's moving until it starts moving <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did the competition side of things start for you? Where did you, how did you get to a level uh, in your canopy flying that you're like, all right, it's time to see what I'm made of? Um, oh, it was kind of, again, early on, I think I was, I think my first competition was on a Mamba 124. And I had two friends going over to like a, it's called like a backyard competition. Um, it's like an over like a body of water in the middle of, a horse racing track um, so it's not like a sweet pond it's right. like a, it's called kapow cup okay um, <laughs> kapow cup you basically take off from the airfield fly over to where the like the racetrack is land there and you get picked up and you get taken back to the airfield cool and that was my first sweep comp it was only um uh, distance and accuracy but um yeah it was my first comp and i won as well which was nice. kind of which gave the motivations thing like progress and like push a little bit more to then go to nationals and then had my first nationals um, in 2019. Um, to, did well. You know, I didn't finish last. Finished somewhere in the middle, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then it just kept the the motivation going. I was then training a lot more. Um, got onto a different canopy. Um, I think that's when I went on to the JFX two um, 99. Um, loved it. Um, but that's kind of the was the last main nationals we had due to COVID because everything kind of shut down after that. 2020 nationals, we were meant to go to New Zealand and then yep. it got changed to being hosted at Picton in New South Wales. Yeah. And then the border shut for everyone and then lockdowns happened. So this next nationals that's happening um, in March, March will be the next nationals that's happened for two, three years. So this will just be your second nationals ever. This will be the second nationals ever. Yeah. Yeah. I've done like a couple of state meets, but this is like the the second nationals, I guess. Yeah. So when all the swoopers are talking about the next generation coming up, they're talking about you. Uh, well, I guess so. <laughs> You're the next generation. Uh, well, let me ask how old are you? Uh, good question. Oh, no, I'm 25. I'm 25. 25 years old. And, uh -huh. and uh, I don't mean to offend you, but you look like you're 16. I did. So, I did. You look lie. like you're I'm 16. To, you can't see in the video, but I'm trying to grow in the scarf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get mine to go back to dark colors instead of white. <laughs> it's not happening. No, the, the lighting doesn't do the mustache justice. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, it was just kind of funny because uh, as you get into the sport, obviously, and you say you're a tandem instructor as well. A tandem instructor, canopy coach, all of these high level things that 
people naturally assume they're going to meet someone that's got this shitload of aging experience and then a 16 year old walks out of the room do you find you get <laughs> do you find you get resistance from tandem students or, or yeah. uh, canopy students yeah. that are like um it's weird hey like i'm it's a str- is it funny you ask that because it's usually for for i'll explain to you like the the, the tandem instructors, uh, not the tandem, the tandem um, passengers, it's usually the mums or like the, the, usually the, like the, the elder females, like right. you can't be my instructor. Like, no way. You're way too, you're my, you're the age of my son. Right. I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the instructor. <laughs> um, yeah. They're usually the kind of customers I get who usually question my skill level. You could sure. Say. Sure. Um, and then with the coaching, it's very weird. Very like it, for canopy coaching, it's very weird because usually the people that I'm coaching are a lot older than me, sure, or sure. mid thirties or late forties. Um, and yeah, it is weird because you know they're not used to taking um, advice from a young punk person sure. who might yeah. not know what he's talking about. But sure. Um, but by the end of the course, they want to come back and they they always say, "Look, hands up! I've learned so much, and I will be back. back uh, we will be back for the next one." Well, that's the thing, right? Is it just, it it, kind of just puts that uh, a little extra hurdle that you have to cross that you have to prove that you actually deserve their attention and know what you're talking about. Um, But I mean, you're right, especially from a a new jumper perspective, skydiving is an expensive sport. So it's the perfect midlife crisis, extreme sport for people to get into. Absolutely. Um, I have to do a lot of growing up and a lot of maturing. Sure. Because I was when I first got my rating, I was not mature, and I was sure. not. I was yeah. I was. Well, fuck oh, well. you. You're twenty. <laughs> you're twenty five for fuck's sake. You're yeah. a twenty five year old skydiver. So let's just say that that does not scream mature adult <laughs> decisions. No, nah, there was one time. I think. I think it was my second course. No, it was my first course. My first canopy course where I had a lot. I had a lot of people. I had a good crew, and the drop zone was pumping. And it was after the first day. The day went really well. And you know, I'm young and I was just wanted to celebrate Gamma course and I was super excited, I was super proud of my achievements. And I just got written off and I was fucked up. And <laughs> I remember getting taken down. I remember I was walking down to the caravan and my, my friend um Bryce, like one of my good friends, he walks down to the caravan and gave me a good talking to. He's our he's our he's so as well. So the also like the the fun police you could say sure <laughs> and he's like zach you're a coach now you need to pull yourself in you've got you need, people are looking at you you can't be telling people you can't be giving out instructions and being the most fucked up one in the drop zone sure um, indeed <laughs> well or if you're going to do that there is a time and a place right uh, um, that's kind of what i've learned yeah, 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 there really is, because yeah. I, I went to what I've talked about uh, a million times on this drop zone to Skydive Cross Keys. I went to work there and Skydive Cross Keys was the biggest party drop zone on the planet at the time. But what I always um, forget to say is it was also a crazy professional drop zone when the operation was going. We got oh, shit done, you know, and management was top notch during the day. They were straight up managers. Um, but I'll never forget, I think I'd been there for maybe two weeks before they had their first proper event, uh, proper party event uh, on a weekend. And I walked out onto the back deck to see my manager, basically my boss, hanging from the rafters of the tiki bar in his underwear, um, <laughs> which was fucking hilarious. But it was also, uh, oh, I've not seen him like this because he was too busy being professional when he needed to be. But man, yeah. that, that boy could definitely let his hair down when the time came. Um, oh, and like you said, there's a time and a place. And I think yeah. the thing that I learned was, you know, people, as weird as it was at a young age, people are paying money to attend and get information from me. Yes. So then I have to give the respect back to give that value of product back. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that was what I learned early on. Well, and it's also, I mean, we joke around and, and uh, have a lot of fun, but at the uh, at the end of the day, it is a dangerous sport. You know, I mean, we've got oh, people's lives in our hands, either directly by being a tandem instructor or indirectly by teaching them how not to kill themselves. And so it requires that next level respect. And fuck, I'm 52 years old and I still every once in a while look around and go, they let me do this shit? Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all right. Sure. I'll go fly the plane. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, but it, you keep getting that reality check. But I think that's a really good thing because that shows that you still have a huge level of respect for what it is you do. Because the day that you're just thinking, yeah, of course I'm doing this. That's the day that chances are it's going to catch up to you. Oh, absolutely. I think I just got a bit more respect of the lifestyle that I have and how lucky I kind of was. And I was like, maybe I need to take this a little bit more seriously. Sure. If people are paying good money for it. Maybe I need to you know, tidy up a little bit or just don't get caught. <laughs> I think that's the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Just don't get caught because everybody's out going out and having a good time. It's just that uh, public perception that people get. So yeah, just don't be the last one on the drop zone. The wedding photographer stuff. So what is that like? Because yeah. uh, talk about a completely different world than the one that we're talking about. Yeah, no, it's it's good, but like it, it is stressful. Like it's stressful. Like um dealing with brides and like who want a special day and stuff doesn't go to plan sometimes and yeah it does get like you have to put on a bit of a smile constantly throughout the day and trying to convince people that the day that might have been ruined by weather or anything it's still going to be the best day of their life but sure well actually but thinking, not, fun, but, thinking yeah. about it there are some parallels though aren't there to uh, um a wedding day and a first skydive right yeah, it's, absolutely. It's yeah, a massive totally event clear. that you've got to chronicle and you got to keep people from losing their shit. Yeah, exactly. And same thing. People paid a lot of money, like a lot of money to have you there. You've got to deliver a good product. Do you get the same uh, reaction when you show up as the wedding photographer and they're like, All right, what are you, the assistant? Where's the actual guy that's doing this? <laughs> do you get the same thing? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. I do. No, it's not even on the day. It's more It's more when I do that, Um, the first meeting with the, like the couple. Sure. And like... Like I'm sitting at the bar with a beer and like with my folder and my laptop. And then I can tell the couple, I'm like, Hey, how you going? Like, are you blah, 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 blah. And like, yes. And I'm like, hi, I'm Zach. And they're like, sorry. And they're like, I was like, I'm Zach. And they're like, what? You're our videographer. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing. They're like, you can't be our videographer. You, you're too young to have experience. Sure. But, um, but yeah, then I deliver what they ask if not better and then they're surprised and then it just the customers just keep coming so sure. must, must have been something right well and i mean we can we can uh, joke around and i can give you shit for looking young all i want but when you're 50 years old you'll be the one going <laughs> yeah, i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> damn right man damn right absolutely so now we uh, we initially got hooked up to talk on the podcast because you've gotten hooked up with uh, nz aerosports so how did that come about correct um Again, like it kind of fell into place, but I did work very hard for it. And I kind of knew I was flying their wing and I love their wing. And I love their philosophy, their company, their mm. business model, the people who work there, the people who they sponsor. So I was like, sure. if that's the company I would like to partner with, they have, they're, they're the ones. I don't, sure. I'm not keen on the majority of others. Um, but I kind of knew or I kind of envisioned that by the end of last year, I was going to either be, asking them to have a sponsorship or they would ask me if I'm be keen to get this happening. Sure. Um, so it went back to the first flocking camp that I did and I reached out and asked if they could sponsor the event and I never got a response back. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do the event. I'm going to make the video and I'm going to include them in the video anyway, like have sure. the stickers in the video, have the logos, yada, yada. I'll try and go way out of my way to make this, you know, them appear in it as much sure, as I can. Sure. Posted the video. And then that's when um Shannon saw the video and she's like, wow, you you've included us. That's super grateful. Um let's let's talk about the athlete sponsorship. And then nothing really happened and they went quiet. Um, and then I was running a flocking event in South Australia for SA Skydiving, another event, and um they asked for an event sponsorship from NZ Aerosports. And that's when Haven Galvin, the athletes rep at the time, asked, is there yeah. any NZ Aerosports athletes attending the event and they said no but we're Zach Rosser is running a lot of the flocking stuff this is him and then that's when we got in contact and he told me to um apply applied and then that's kind of where it went and that's how the NZ Aerosports journey has started and I've nice. loved, loved it so far the people the staff are amazing and I can't and the wings are just incredible I've, yeah. I've I can't imagine flying another wing and they have helped me so much with help getting the flocking event uh, camp over to um, New Zealand. 
sure. which I'm very excited about. Um, and they're super behind that. So knowing that they see something in what I'm offering um, and are willing to go out of their way to help that product or help me get what I want is, is awesome. Like it's oh, yeah. um, like well, a company that big seeing something in me is it's, it's amazing. <laughs> well, and you, you mentioned their business model and their mentality and their staff and everything. And it's, I mean, I was hooked on them before I knew anything about them just because I saw an Icarus fuck yeah sticker. And it's, yeah, it's, it's on the back of my phone, like on the back of my phone just says, fuck yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And it, it's, it's, uh, um, it, it's a business model that goes counter to especially what my generation was taught forever is that business is where you've got to be respectable and follow these rules and make sure you always color in the lines. And, and I've never, you know, subscribed to that mentality. And so to see a company, especially one that's now doing so incredibly well, not only start that way, but stay that way. Because if yeah. you had told me when I first saw that fuck yeah sticker, God knows how many years ago, that they would have that logo in neon on their office wall so many yeah. years later, I would have said, no, they're not going to do that. They're going to back off because they're going to become respectable. And yeah. now they're just as respectable with a big fuck you on it. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's the sign amazing. has got bigger, brighter, and bolder. <laughs> yes, yes, it really is, you know, and. Yeah, and it's and it's so true. Like I have a t like the t-shirt says like it fuck like Icarus fuck yeah on it. And then yep. I like my girlfriend's like Zach, you can't wear that around. I'm like, why? Like it's 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 the t-shirt. They gave me the t-shirt. It's what's yep. printed on the t-shirt. I'm gonna wear yep. it. And my mom said the exact same thing until I explained it to her. I was like, that's that's it. Like <laughs> that's their business model. And That's for them it. to to have that mentality and this super low key working atmosphere that just uh, invites creativity in all its forms. Um, that's how, obviously how I got started with them is because I started the same thing. I started doing this on my own and I was lucky enough to get Attila uh, on the first time. And then I had Shan on and I finally sent them a message going, we should partner up. And yeah. <laughs> it's just, and they're looking for out of the box stuff to do, which translates, of course, into their amazing design team coming up with the wings that you've been talking about, which are yeah. in they're they're fucking machines. They're incredible. It's insane, and yeah, they're ahead of the game, and I'm excited for what they've got that's going to be released. Oh, talking to Julian about the uh, the next big thing coming up and, and all the stuff that they're envisioning. And of course, me just being a canopy pilot, um, I don't envision, I, I have a very difficult time wrapping my head around advancements far beyond what we've already got, because I never thought that they'd be doing what they're doing now. But Julian is like, oh, you can't There's even imagine what's coming. Yes, yes. Which I don't know how I feel about that because I'm already scared watching some of you guys land. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, so what what do you have coming down the road? Are, are, you said that you're trying to get over to New Zealand uh, and you've got the Nationals coming. Are there any big uh, competitions otherwise and any um, thoughts to do uh, international stuff, like start really getting abroad? Um, yeah, the international stuff, um, not sure. It's going to depend on borders. It's going to depend like Australia has been, um, like super hard of like, um, international restrictions and stuff. So yes. that one is like very much in limbo. Um, but, but yeah, look, I'm running an event next week in Brisbane, um, like for flocking nationals in March. Um, and then, yeah, I think I'm going to be doing, oh, I'm, well, I will be doing a lap of Australia. So I've got, yeah, Cairns, Perth. Um, um, at the moment for two flocking camps. And then I've got two flocking camps over in NZ, uh, in New Zealand, sorry, um, which I'm very much excited for if it all lines up. Awesome. Now, yes, do you... Yes, the organizing and everything is just border restrictions at the moment that was sort of... Sure, sure. Late, late April. So it's the flocking events and the swooping competitions. Do you... What do you see long-term um, for your career in skydiving? And, and I ask this because you're so young and just starting out yeah. now. Um I've been doing this for a very long time and I never would have envisioned that I would have had 25 years in the sport. So what do you think you've got coming for the next 20 years? I don't know. Hey, I had the same conversation with my friend Niall and we were, we both with even with just one year, one year of doing flocking events, like last year from start to finish, the progression from then to the start to the end, I never thought would happen. So I can't, 
I don't, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited, but I do not know what the future holds, hmm. but I know it's going to be fun. I know it's going to be excited and it's going to be a very good adventure, but oh, I know I'm going to be, yeah, I know I'm going to be done running stuff consistently around Australia. The dream is to progress internationally, um, like New Zealand, whoever else is keen abroad, hopefully fingers crossed, but yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm only 25 a minute for the long game. Hopefully, sure. fingers crossed. I'll stay healthy. But um, yeah, I think the, the future is going to be bright. I'm that's excited. Awesome. I, I, but I don't know what it holds. But I'm no, excited to find it. That's what makes it so fucking cool, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, say so, it with a big smile on my face. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Now, what do, yeah. Your, what do your parents think of all this? Do they think this is a phase and they're hoping you're going to grow out of it? No, nah, not at all. Not, not one bit. My mum my and dad came out to the drop zone when I did my uh, first. I think four or five stages, but they knew after that, that that was that. And when I'd come home, show them this, like the footage, I was like, mom, watch this, watch this, watch this. But they love it. They love it. My mom's done two tams of me. My dad's done one tam and, and they awesome. are, they're very, they're very supportive. Like, like oh, I show them all the flocking stuff and mom's classic mom. She's sharing it saying, look at my son. Look at <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. and dad's the same. Yeah, dad's exactly the same. He's that they're, they're very much very supportive of what I, I was always so mixed about uh, uh skydiving. My my go-to joke when people would ask uh if my daughter uh if I wanted her to become a jumper, my daughter's your age. Uh and yeah. my answer was she can skydive as long as she doesn't have to go to a drop zone to do it. The mentality being that's where all the parties and fucking goes on. I don't want my kid there. Um but <laughs> I'll be the time. yeah, but uh, um it, it was it was mixed, um, mixed sensation for me when she didn't really get into skydiving. She enjoyed it, um, but it's nothing that she would consider a lifestyle uh, when she chose to go a completely opposite direction. And she's going to be a, a lawyer. So yeah, right. <laughs> as as polar opposite to me as I can imagine. So I'm crazy proud. But part of me is like, part, well, a big part of me is like, thank fuck she didn't follow in my, <laughs> in my footsteps. It's kind, of the same for me. it's kind of the same for me and my partner and like, we're very much the same, but we're very much opposites. Like she wants nothing to do with skydiving. Um, she doesn't want to do a tandem. Not yet, I don't think. She was the classic, like, oh, I'll do one on your 700th jump. That came sure. along. We never did it. She's like, I'll do it when you get your tandem rating. That came along. We never did it. She's like, oh, I'll do it when you get over 100 tandems. That came along. We still haven't done it. So I've just stopped. Sure. I'm not asking it anymore. And she's the same. She works for the government in like Department of Child Protection, which is completely opposite to what yes. I do. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I'll yeah. tell you what, though, that I mean, don't get me wrong. There are always uh, couples that have made it work and couples in skydiving that uh, either work together in the sport or jump together in the sport and they make it work and they do a fantastic job with it. But for the most part, having a partner that doesn't involve themselves in the sport is a fucking relationship saver, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, my wife has separate worlds. Yes. I mean, she's done one yeah. jump, but she doesn't have a desire to go out and be a skydiver and thank fuck, because there's it's just no way. Yeah. <laughs> I can <laughs> never make it work. Never make it work. So now yeah. as, as we get towards the end of things, I always ask jumpers to uh, give a bit of advice to, to newer jumpers coming into the sport and to older jumpers that maybe they're getting a little bit burned out and they're just finding it difficult to find the drive to jump anymore. So for people that are looking to get into skydiving, what advice do you give? And for old guys that are struggling to stay into it, what do you suggest? Uh, I think it's just the new people, um, just be a sponge, just sit there, just learn as much information as you can. Don't be afraid to ask those silly questions. There's never a dumb question. And even if there is, you'll then find out that that's a dumb question. Um, <laughs> sure. Oh, then, we'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then see the older people just like, I think the thing that I've always learned being younger and being a coach is never be afraid to take on advice from someone that might be younger. Cause they mm. could, that could be the thing that might save you or help you or benefit you in the long run. So never be afraid to adapt. Um, would be my advice to people. Well, and I'm, I'd imagine too that you're in a unique perspective because you are doing this coaching and stuff. And when you interact with the older jumpers, your excitement and drive for the sport must rub off. It has to. Yeah, you know, I think I it mean, does. I think it does. Like I have um, one guy who's retired, like ex-military guy. I don't know how old he is. Like, must be my dad's age. And you know, whenever. <laughs> okay not your, your age <laughs> fair enough fair enough 
<laughs> and yeah, look, he's older, and whenever he's like we're hanging out and stuff, so you know that that makes him younger, like not younger, but it sure. brings out that inner child because you know you know he's not hanging and doesn't make him feel like he's hanging around a child, but you know it just makes him have fun. And and if that's what you know I can do, then that's that's cool. So I'm I never like to take things seriously. I'm always about having fun, and I mentally am about what well, my girlfriend always says: you're acting like a twelve year old. But that's what I want to do. It's about right. It's about right. Yeah. That's the that's been the huge benefit to being working in the sport for shit. You know, twenty five years now is that I was never forced to adopt that. You know, five day a week, eight hour a day. I must be an adult and act responsible. I never had to yeah. watch my language. I always got to joke around and say fuck this, fuck that, and have a good time with it because that's yeah. the environment that we live in. And to Absolutely. add to that, you know, your youth and your excitement in the sport has got to be great for an old military guy that wants to, you know, kind of get back into the excitement of things. So that's cool. Absolutely. But like the only the only thing that I could probably the advice that I probably give is as a 25 year old or, you know, I never in my life did I ever think that this is kind of where I'd end up or, you know, what I'd be achieving. And, you know, I had a goal, I had a dream and, you know, I just chased it until it happened. So it just, it showed me that, you know, there's nothing that you can't reach unless you, unless you put a little bit of time and effort into it. So if you've got a goal, you can make it happen. Just chase the dream. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice in in whatever you choose to do it, but scouting obviously, you know, yeah, it transforms anything in life. So how do the people find out about your um, flocking? How do they find out about your canopy courses? How do they find you on social media? Um, and tell us about these guys too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can find me um, on Facebook. Um, I've got a Facebook page called Zach's Canopy Course. So Z-A-C-K. I always get, they always spell Zach a bit wrong. But yeah, Z-A-C-K, can, uh, Zach's Canopy Course. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, um, which is Zach Rosser. Um, and I'm usually always posting up events on there. There's a lot more that I haven't posted that are in limbo. Um, so stay tuned for those. Um, and then, yeah, that's where you, pay, where you can find me as well. Awesome. Awesome. And then, of course, these guys, nzaerosports.com. Yes, nzaerosports.com. How can I forget? <laughs> Buy the badass rigs. And I believe uh, Hayden is still doing the athlete stuff. So if you're a skydiver out there thinking that you're at that stage where you want to try and get sponsorship, send him stuff it never hurts to ask always ask yeah. cool go big or go big or go home they're gonna yeah, love it <laughs> absolutely fuck it and zach man thank you so much for taking the time to sit down i really really appreciate talking to the younger jumpers coming up and the, the next generation so to speak and hearing yeah. all these amazing plans that you've got absolutely now i've got for i've been asked by a friend for me to for me to do because i told him about the podcast for cool. me to sign off he works on trains and for me to sign off i've got to say thanks for having me and choo choo <laughs> very cool and there you have it another episode of lunatic fringe into the void brought to you as always by and say it with me fuck yeah nz aerosports head to nzaerosports.com by Pussfoot. That's right, head to Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com, Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com, check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to youtube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.